0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter number 8 today, John chapter number 8. I want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here at Rosedale, uh, my second favorite place to preach, and I appreciate our ministry there in Fishersville, Virginia, Crossroads Baptist Church, and I've been there eight and a half years, and God has allowed us to see some amazing things uh, as we serve the Lord, doing exactly what you're doing here, reaching your community, your Jerusalem with the gospel of Christ Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here thank you for the accommodations and the meals and the fellowship Uh, I'm thankful and I wanted to just commend you as a church family for what you did for your pastor a few weeks ago and uh, just the opportunity to be a part of that and the invitation to be here uh, was a blessing to our family and uh, two things that I believe that you're going to see out of this time and maybe you're new to the sabbatical uh, thing and you say well I don't just don't understand what we're going to get out of it uh, because we live in such a seeker friendly environment." Uh, Two things I think you're going to get. Number one, you're going to develop a greater appreciation for your pastor, just the fact that he's not here. Uh, But the second thing I think you're going to appreciate is the team that God has assembled here at Rosedale Baptist Church. Uh, those who have stepped up in pastor's absence and uh, really taken on more responsibilities. The, the workload is great. And uh, I think at some point, uh, maybe when pastor comes back or right after or before, uh, I think you ought to walk up to your pastoral staff team and thank them uh, for what they've done. And uh, thank your pastor for that time and allowing him uh, the opportunity to rest. So I hope that you'll do that. Uh, John chapter 8, we've been talking about grace this summer, and I've been tuning in online, watching some of the services. Great message uh, by Pastor Ryan Scott last uh, Sunday. Uh, but I want to look at this passage of Scripture in John chapter number 8, where someone received great grace from Jesus, but also received the truth. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory the glories of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and i really want to ask the question do we need grace and truth do we really need that webster's defines grace in two different ways Uh, the first one is unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification or it's defined as a virtue that comes from God a virtue that comes from God and I want us to look this morning just at the fact that, uh, More than likely you're here this morning and you've received great grace You understand uh, the songs that we've sung this morning. You understand uh, what Jesus did for you uh, But maybe you know someone who needs great grace. Maybe you know someone who needs the truth uh, Maybe you've experienced it for yourself, but maybe you know someone We are the receivers and the givers of grace, but not just grace, but also truth. Uh, There are people all around us, whether it's at your workplace or church or the restaurant this afternoon, that will need both elements, and they need grace and truth, and it's up to us to be able to give that grace and truth. Uh, Randy Alcorn said this, if we minimize grace, the world sees no hope for salvation, if we minimize truth the world sees no need for salvation Uh, to show the world jesus we must offer unabridged grace and truth emphasizing both and apologizing for neither emphasizing both grace and truth and apologizing for neither so let's look at john chapter 8 this morning and see what happened in this uh, account that shows both grace and truth. I want you to see three things today, and and I'll try and repeat them for your handout. Uh, Number one, we see the woman who had gone astray. The woman who had gone astray. John chapter 8 and verse number 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. The very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? What sayest thou? Can we pray together this morning? Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us, the opportunity we have Uh, To open your word, Uh, Lord, I ask that you please help uh, today, help us to have open hearts and receptive minds to what you have for us. Please speak to our heart from your word. Uh, Lord, the preacher can get up and speak speak to the head, but Lord, only you can speak to the heart. Lord, I ask that you please uh, do your work today that only you can do. Please speak to my heart. Lord, cleanse me of any unconfessed sin in my heart and life that would hinder me from doing your work today. Please use my words. and Lord, help me to focus on the thoughts that you have given me to deliver today. Lord, please bless the hearer. Lord, if there's someone here today that has not received great grace and great truth, help them to see their spiritual need today. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. The woman who had gone astray. Jesus' ministry was filled with people who had needs, some physical. We saw all of the healings that Jesus did, uh, many spiritual needs that Jesus addressed. But for the first time in the book of John, Jesus addresses someone who is caught in the very act of sin. A sinner who's caught in the act. But she didn't come willingly, she was brought by force. And we see that grace and truth were on full display in this text. But how did it come about? We see that the first thing is the teaching that's mentioned in verse 1 and 2. The teaching. Jesus has come to the Mount of Olives here in chapter uh, 8 and verse number 1. At the end of chapter number 7, he departs for a little bit of time. and Maybe it was a chance to get away from ministering and speaking to people and uh, being confronted by the religious leaders of the day. But uh, he gets away from this day of ministering. Bethany, the town of Bethany where Lazarus, Mary and Martha lived was a short distance from the Mount of Olives so maybe he retreats there just to get away go to their house, we're not sure. The fact that he stepped away in the first place gives us a great example of the times in our lives that we need to disconnect and we need to step away. We need that rest that Hebrews chapter 4 mentions in verse number 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entereth into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Are you this morning seeking his rest? Are you working that time period, that four, five, six day work week so that you can enjoy that rest that he offers? Jesus arrives early the next day in verse number two in the temple at Jerusalem and he sits down to teach. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus takes those moments to teach? Now, aren't you glad that he's given us a word that he still continues even today teaching us? Now, aren't you glad that he puts us in a place where the Bible is freely taught? He allows us to live in a country where we can come in a place like this unashamed, unhindered, and we can hear the word of God freely taught by God's man. It's a blessing that God gives us that. He could have left us with nothing and said, well, good luck, you're, you know, you're on your own. He could have said, just do whatever the pastor says, but he didn't do any of that. Rather, he gave us his word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God has given us his truth, and he still teaches us today, but are you and I seeking biblical truth? Are we searching for biblical truth? Are we looking for ourselves, the teaching? But then we see in verse number three, the travesty that takes place. Uh, The travesty. Jesus is interrupted by a group of Pharisees who are the religious elite, Uh, those who had all of the degrees on the wall. Those who had been to all of the Bible colleges and, and knew all of the right things and knew what to wear. Today is my first Sunday ever not wearing a tie to preach. And uh, it's awkward, uh, but also refreshing. Uh, so, uh, uh, but, can't wait to get back home. Uh, but uh, scribes, not just Pharisees, uh, but scribes. Uh, these are those who copied the law, who wrote down the law. So you've got two groups of people who knew what God's word said. And they bring Jesus a woman who they caught in the act of adultery. I find it interesting the fact that they just brought the woman. You know, it takes two, doesn't it? Uh, And we see, uh, they knew the law. Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 10 was very clear. It says, and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. They didn't bring both parties. They only brought her. We can speculate all we want to, but they only brought half of the problem. Speculate maybe the man was a leader in the community and they didn't want to embarrass. Maybe the man was a Pharisee or a scribe and they didn't want to call out their own. All this reasoning. But think about the fact that they only fulfilled half of the obligation. And before we say, yeah, that's right, pastor. Pastor we're guilty of that too. Uh, when we step back and say, you know, this part of the Bible I'm going to hold to, but you know, this verse over here, ah, not so much. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to hold on to this part and I'm going to do what the Bible says here, but this passage, I don't really like that, so I'm not going to do it. We're just as guilty. Now, when it comes to following the teachings of Jesus, uh, why do we settle for half? Why do we settle? We're honored and we're excited when the preacher gets up and says, we're going to heaven because we've trusted Christ as our Savior. Yeah, that's right. But what about when he says we shouldn't be living in open sin or we shouldn't have those secret sins that we don't like to discuss? See, we've got to take all of it or none of it. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and uh, dis- love the other, or else he'll hold of the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or the world. See, we have to choose. It's either all in or not at all. One or the two. God can't do great things through your life with only half of your heart. He has to have all of you. He wants all of it. But do you want all of Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Someone wisely said, Following the path of least resistance is what makes rivers and men crooked. Following the path of least resistance is what makes rivers and men crooked. The teaching... Jesus sits down to teach the travesty that they only bring the woman and not the man. But uh, thirdly, we see the title that they use in verse number four. It says, they say unto him, Master. Now this sounds good in our English vocabulary. It sounds like, man, these people understand who Jesus is. And they're calling him who he is. But you have to look a little bit deeper. The title that they use shows that their reasoning was not pure. They didn't really need Jesus to weigh in on this. They knew what the law said. We already read uh, the verse from Leviticus. The penalty was death. But Jesus knew their heart. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The word, the Greek word they use here is the word, didaskalos and it simply means a teacher so while we might look and say man they said master the one who oversaw their life really what they were saying is all you are is just a teacher he wasn't god's son he wasn't the messiah he wasn't a ruler among the jews he was just a teacher and how sad that after everything that they had seen jesus do that's all that he was to them Did you know that your ability to share grace and truth with other people who desperately need it will be largely connected to who Jesus is to you? Largely connected to what you say of Jesus, who he is. See, there's a profound difference in him being the Savior and him being your Savior. Big difference between being the Son of God and the Son of God who died for you. There's a difference. Is Jesus all that He said He was to you? See, there are people all around us today who have gone astray, just like this woman. All, all around us, whether it's at our workplace, or whether it's in our family, or whether it's coming into church, or whether they live next door to you, or whether you work in the same building as they do, none of that matters other than the fact that you're showing grace and truth to them. See, God has planted you. There's no accident that you live where you live. It's not by coincidence that you work where you work or you went to the college you went to to study for this particular field. God has a will for your life and he has planted you where you are so that you can show grace and truth to those people that you're around. He has put you where you are for a purpose. Those who have received great grace and truth realize that others need great grace and truth. They see the value in it. They see that this woman, uh, she had gone astray. But not only that, number two, we see that the accusers had an agenda. The accusers had an agenda. Look at verse number five. We read and we see that there was a motive behind their visit to him. They had a reason that they had come. And to further complicate matters, the Pharisees were already frustrated by the officers or those who were uh, really the capital police, we would think of the day in chapter 7 they sent officers to arrest him and they came back empty-handed and they said well what where's Jesus and they were mind blown at all of the teaching that he had they were in awe of him remember the phrase they used never man spake like this man and we, we could not believe the authority that this guy possessed and we forgot what we were there for Just in listening to him teach, they were already frustrated. The Pharisees, scribes, they were all up in arms. So they figured a way that they could plan to trap Jesus. And this is how they do it. They said in verse number 5, that Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? They mentioned, number 1, the text in verse number 5. We've already seen in Leviticus that they had the final answer. They knew what the law said. They even tried to convince the people that they understood the law and that the common man could not understand the law. They could not comprehend what the law taught. Uh, Just a side note here. Anyone who tells you that you don't need to read the Bible for yourself is either a liar or they're trying to manipulate you. God has given us His Word so that we can fully understand His plan for our life his desire for us. Paul said in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the world with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily. They searched the scriptures daily. That doesn't sound like they were sitting at somebody's feet saying, teach us everything. It sounds like they got their own copy and said, let's learn for ourselves. That's the reason that God has given us and made His Word so readily available that we can search His Word for ourselves. But are we taking the time to do it? Just because they knew the text, and we understand this, just because they knew the text didn't mean that they knew the application of the text. Did you know that there are people that you work with and you go to school with and you go to church with that they know what the Bible says? They just don't know how it applies to them. I heard a preacher say years ago, people could care less about David and Goliath if they don't know how it applies to them. People could care less about the teaching of the Bible if they don't see the personal application. I'm thankful for the last 25 years that Rosedale has had a great church and has been a great church and a ministry and had someone in the pulpit who shows not only the text but the application. It's not just about reading the Bible and checking the box. It's asking, how does this speak to me? The text, they didn't understand. But number two, we see the trickery that was involved. Verse six, this they said, Lord, uh, master, teacher, uh, the Bible says, the law says, Moses said, their great teacher, that she should be stoned. But what do you think? Verse six, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Uh, Their only purpose was to have this agenda. Their only purpose was to manipulate their angle was disappointing let's use this woman to destroy jesus the woman had sinned and now this point in the story this woman needed someone to come alongside of her and love on her and show her that she had a need at this point in the story we see that someone should have risen up and said what about her needs Uh, we understand that she sinned let's not sugarcoat that but let's try and help her Let's show grace and truth. The accusers had the final solution. Let's just kill her. Let's just end her life. They had been taught an eye for an eye. The punishment fits the crime. You know, if you're going to defile your body, then we should destroy it. That was their plan. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill or to complete the law. Jesus was the answer for the law. And when we look at Satan's devices and tactics today, he's using the same things to trip us up now that he did thousands of years ago. The exact same thing. He convinces us that people are just getting what they deserve, or they're they're a product of their own environment, a product of their own doing, uh, they're a product of their own decisions. And it's easy for the church to get in this box where we say, we're only going to help the people who come here, who look like we want them to look, who act like we want them to act, who dress like we want them to dress, and that is not God's plan for the Christian. God desires us to look outside the box and see how we can show grace and truth to others instead of saying you're the problem let's say we've got the solution instead of saying hey you've got to dress up before you can get right with god let's just simply let the holy spirit do his work first and let's teach them show them grace and truth and when we look at jesus example he was out of the box he was out of the box He said in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Having worked on a sheep farm in my high school years, I can tell you from personal experience that sheep are stubborn. Sheep are stubborn. That's on them because they desire to be stubborn. But the chief shepherd... Love the sheep anyway. The shepherd loves the sheep and he shows grace and truth because he loves. You know, when you go to lunch today, that waitress that's going to mess up your order, she needs grace and truth. That co-worker that blows that project and it dumps in your lap right on your desk with a very limited deadline, that coworker needs grace and truth. That family member who comes in and shares with you the unthinkable news that you'd never expected to hear, they need grace and truth. Your loved ones, your neighbor, that fellow church member that might not shake your hand today and you walk out of here flustered and upset at them because they always shake your hand and today they didn't give you the time of day, they need grace and truth. We all need it. So we look at our lives and say, do we see people who've gone astray? They're all around us. Do we have an agenda when we see someone who's gone astray? See, Church Baltimore has a problem. It's the same problem that people have in Fishersville, Virginia. They have a problem. See, it's not, that problem is not going to be fixed with more money. That problem is not going to be fixed with more supplies or better jobs or better housing. There is a void that only one thing can fill. And people need grace and truth that's found in a person, and that person is Jesus. Max Lucado said, when grace moves in, guilt moves out. When grace moves in, guilt moves out. The woman who had gone astray. Uh, Then number two, the accusers that had an agenda, and then lastly this morning, we see the Savior had the answer. See, this woman had all these problems and the accuser said, we've got our agenda. We know exactly what we're going to do with this woman. But they underestimated Jesus. And Church, don't be guilty of underestimating Jesus. Whether it's in your prayer life, in your personal life, in your church life, in your service for Him, don't underestimate Jesus. The Savior, this woman, did not need a self-help book. She didn't need AA or NA or some special class, and I'm not diminishing any of those things. They have a help, and they are a blessing to the community. But she needed a final answer. She didn't need a short-term fix. She needed a long-term solution, something that would help her for the long term, for the long haul. She had no idea what she was in for. She did not realize that these carnal-thinking religious leaders were actually bringing her to the answer. No idea. The world has no idea. When people come into this place to hear the Word of God freely taught, they have no idea what to expect. But Jesus is the answer. Those without Christ are headed to a place that they can't fathom. We're headed to a place that we can't fathom. But does it compel us to do anything about it? We see Jesus' response in verse number 6. His response it says that he stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground, as though he heard him not, didn't even listen to him. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, would not let it go. He lifted it up himself and said unto them, he that's without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. One statement, right to the heart. See, Jesus could not set the laws aside to free her. He could not insist on the full penalty of the law and have her stoned. What could he do? His hands were seemingly tied. But in his response, he did not stoop to their level. He didn't offer a quick response. Well, I'm going to tell you what to do. He, with poise and character, put it all back on them. Put it all back on them. He that is without sin, let him first cast the stone. He that's without sin. This answer did not diminish the sin. But it also asked the people to search their own hearts. You know, we search our own hearts today, we realize that we're in need of great grace and truth. Before we hand it out to someone, before we give somebody a piece of my mind, you might want to hang on to it, you might need it. We all need grace and truth. It's the exact same principle that Jesus laid out in Matthew chapter 7 in verse number 1 when he said, judge not that ye be not judged. In verse 2 he said, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Some people like to use that verse, oh, you know, you shouldn't judge me. You shouldn't judge that person. Uh, Because the Bible says, judge not. But that's not what Jesus was implying. I See, if I'm going to hand it out to someone and I'm going to call someone on something, I've got to be willing to be called out for that exact same thing. I've got to play by my own rules. It can't be one of those things where we're constantly changing the game as we play it. Just a few verses later in verse number 5, this same passage of Scripture, or in Matthew chapter 7 rather, he said, Thou hypocrite, First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mode or the little splinter out of thy brother's eye. And see, he used the word here, Hippocrates. hypocritas, And the word was used, when he said hypocrite, was used for stage actors. Someone who could literally put on a mask at any time and become something that they weren't. Something that they really weren't Deep down. We had a trunk-or-treat event several years ago at our church, about five years ago now, and I've had facial hair, a goatee, for 15 years. Uh, The moment I moved out of my... No, I'm kidding. Uh, But uh, I had facial hair for 15 years, and I've gotten used to it. I I have only shaved it once or twice, just on rare occasion. But my church people had never seen me without it. Never. So we had this trunk-or-treat event, and my assistant pastor said, hey, I'm going to be Nightwing. I'm going to be the superhero Nightwing. So I said, I'm going to be Batman. Well, Batman didn't have facial hair. I don't know what comic book you read, but Batman doesn't have facial hair, all right? Uh, So uh, for me, I said, I'm going to do something radical, and I'm going to shave my goatee. I'm going to shave it off and just see if anybody recognizes." So I go out and I get the full costume. I'm I'm all dressed up. I've got the big cowl. I mean, nobody can tell. And So I have this thing on, clean shaven, and it was ironic to me as I'm standing next to my wife at our car with our children. How many people walked up to my wife and said, "Where's Pastor?" <laughs> and I'm right there. I think we have a picture uh, that'll be on the screen, but uh, you know, we, that's this is us. Uh, this is me and my assistant pastor. You know. Uh, Nobody knew. I had the mask on and no one could tell who I really were. It really transformed my identity. I have preached with that thing on a couple of times uh, just for kicks and giggles. Uh, But the mask makes a difference. But you know, that's how we treat people. See, from time to time in our life, someone we see who needs great grace and truth and the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and says, you know what? That person needs Jesus. That person needs a graceful response. That person needs the truth shared with them in grace. Hey, that person needs that. You know what we do? We put on the mask. You know, that, that's, that's not really who I am, Lord. That, that's, not my, that's not my job. That's the pastor's job. You know, I'll text him and ask him to pray for my coworker who needs grace and truth. Hey, I, that's not really me. Uh, that's somebody. Uh, I'm going to call uh, Pastor Steve or Pastor Dan or Pastor Ryan or uh, Pastor Adrian, uh, uh, Pastor Aaron. I, I, you know, I'm going to call all these guys or Pastor Xavier. I'm going to call those guys or Pastor Gibb because they'll have exactly what that person needs. You know, really what they need is for us to take off the mask. They need us to share great grace and truth with them. They need us. They need us to be real. And the world needs to see. And people don't need someone with a mask, they need someone who will be real with them. Can you be that person? Their response. And we see verse number 9, their reaction. Shock! Their reaction. They knew the condition of the woman, they knew their agenda, but they also knew their own hearts. And they could not get past what they had heard. See, the grace and truth of Jesus' response blew them away. You know, people don't know how to respond. See, there, people today are used to getting one or the other. They're used to getting all grace that's soft, or they're getting all truth, and it's hard, and hard to digest. They're not used to getting both. And Jesus gave both. Luke chapter 6 and verse 33, And what do, And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what of ye? For sinners also do even the same. See, we show that we're different when we act differently than the world expects us to act. See, the world has seen a lot of so-called Christians who act like they do. Who act like they would. So why not tomorrow when you go to work, why not blow their minds and act like Jesus? When you go to school, uh, when the school starts back in in the fall, why not blow their minds and act like Jesus? And when you come to church, why not blow the pastor's mind and act like Jesus? We need, and we need to share, great grace and truth. His response, their reaction, and then lastly this morning, her relief. Look at verse number 10. We know how that they were pricked by their own conscience, convicted. They begin dropping those stones, a great image to see. And then verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself, saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Neither do I condemn thee. Grace. Go and sin no more. Truth. Jesus didn't sugarcoat the fact that she had sinned. He said the sin that you're living in, you don't need that lifestyle. You don't need that. But I'm not going to condemn thee. There was one there who could pick up a stone and throw it at her. And he chose not to. Grace compelled him to be different. See, the world is really simple, church. They need grace and truth. And God has planted you in their life to be able to show it to them. They're looking for something different. They're looking for grace and truth. Have you received it? Will you give it? Someone said grace and truth are distinct, and yet they're not mutually exclusive. But when people focus on one without the other, they usually fall into two extremes. They either embrace a gospel of grace without truth or a gospel of truth without grace. Grace without truth is not really grace. Truth without grace is not really truth. Grace without truth pampers. Truth without grace hammers. Grace without truth is love without correction. Truth without grace is correction without love. Grace without truth is mercy without justice. Truth without grace is justice without mercy. Grace without truth is soft and spoils people. Truth without grace is harsh and crushes people. Grace without truth is freedom without responsibility. Truth without grace is responsibility without freedom. Either extremes are neither of Christ or the gospel. Have you received great grace? Do you know how to give? Great grace and truth.